Well, some pretty ominous words from President Joe Biden today. He addressed the nation this afternoon about the ongoing threat of a Russian military incursion further into Ukraine, saying he expects it to happen. Those are the harshest words we'd heard so far. It came after a phone call with world leaders, including Prime Minister Trudeau, and those of France, Germany, Italy, Poland, Romania, and the UK, the EU, and NATO. Here is President Biden. We have reason to believe the Russian forces are planning to uh, and intend to attack Ukraine in the coming week, in the coming days. We believe that they will target Ukraine's capital, Kyiv, a city of 2.8 million innocent people. We're calling out Russia's plans loudly and repeatedly, not because we want a conflict, but because we're doing everything in our power to remove any reason that Russia may give to justify invading Ukraine and prevent them from moving. The president was asked if diplomacy is still an option. No, until he does, diplomacy is always a possibility. What reason do you have to believe he's considering that option at all? We have a significant intelligence capability. To be clear, the president said diplomacy is still an option until there's an actual invasion. Tensions, meanwhile, have spiked along the militarized Ukrainian border with attacks. The West is calling false flag operations meant to establish a pretext for a Russian invasion. And on Friday, the leader of a Russian-backed separatist in eastern Ukraine called for his supporters to begin a mass evacuation to Russia, claiming Ukraine was readying for an invasion of the region. So what now? To look into this fast-moving situation, I'm joined by Colin Robertson, a former Canadian diplomat and fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. Welcome to the show. Good to be with you, Ben. Well, certainly a lot of developments over the past week. It's hard to make a lot of sense over about what's happening. We've heard about troop drawdowns from the Russians. We've heard about troop buildups from the Americans, as far as the Russians are concerned. Um, what do you assess the situation is going into this weekend? Well, the Russians are masters at misinformation, and I think that if they are about to to go in, then they want, for, from their perspective, set it as though it is Ukrainian aggression, a bit like we saw with Georgia in 2008. So I, I believe what NATO and the U.S. intelligence is saying, simply because we live in a free press and the press would come down so hard and to have complicity with both NATO, which of course... 29 other countries besides the United States, right. as well as the United States. Uh, so I, I would uh, don't put a lot of credence in with the Russians and their drawdown. I believe that a more, I think uh, the President Biden's uh, statements and Jens Stolenberg as the Secretary General of the of NATO, when they say that in fact there's been some increase, there's been some movement of troops, particularly in Belarus, but the naval uh, deployments around Odessa and the Black Sea are still there, and particularly in the Eastern Front, where the the war has been going on, Ben, since 2008. You know, we sometimes think this is something new, but this is actually a war that's been going on since, uh, sorry, 2014, when the uh, when the Russians went in after they they annexed Crimea and they 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 hold in in the name of uh, of, of separatists uh, a fair chunk of. Uh, Eastern Ukraine and and those in that chunk has in fact declared themselves to be independent republics and the Russian parliament this past week encouraged called the Duma encouraged Russia to recognize them as independent uh, republics that hasn't happened yet and the West certainly won't do it but this is a this is a war that has gone on now since uh, 2014. I mean, I spent some time in Donetsk and Mariupol back in 2014, 2015. Remember how that, uh, how the misinformation worked. And today we saw some some quite significant developments on that front. First, there's been, a, I guess, uh, the kinetic war is heated up. At the same time, we've seen 
the leaders of both those so-called sort of breakaway provinces, if you want to call them that, but Donbass, the general area, uh, asking to evacuate their citizens, saying that there is a imminent Ukrainian attack on its way, and therefore they would have to move, which would have to lead you to believe that the Ukrainians would choose this period over eight years with 100,000 Russian troops amassed at their border to decide to move into those areas, which seems implausible. So what is going on and what is a false flag Attack. Well, it's been talked about it. False flag goes back to the Second World War when the, uh, the Germans, uh, dressed in Polish uniforms, uh, staged an attack on their own uh, on, a, on a, a German base, and the, the false flag was, of course, the Polish flag, uh, and the whole thing was set up. But they they made uh, they brought they took uh, pictures of it and broadcast it and used that in part as the excuse as to why Germany invaded Poland in 1939. And since then, we've talked about the false flag because, in fact, it was Germans using a Polish flag, but it was not their own flag. Mm-hmm. And so we've seen this before in other situations. So the but Putin, you know, good member Vladimir Putin is a KGB operative who very skilled in misinformation, disinformation and bluff and psychological warfare. That's what he is particularly good at. You know, bringing the years ago, he knew that Angela Merkel was afraid of dogs. So mm-hmm. Angela Merkel comes into his first meeting and what's he got right beside him, but his his great Dane. Uh, so you know, this is, or maybe it was a Doberman Pinscher, but he, this is just how, how Putin operates. He's, he's not a fool. He's uh he, if I think he, but he is determined. And if you, he spent two years, much of the last two years, like many of us, in in isolation, COVID-induced isolation, uh, and he devoted some of that time to reading history. And he's come up with a view of history, and he wrote about it last year in an article of over five thousand words, which is really insightful reading because it gives you a, a sense of where Putin is coming from, his worldview. And when you read this piece. Two things stand out. First of all, from his perspective, the greatest catastrophe of the uh, 20th century was the dissolution of the Soviet Union, in which, of course, he'd been a young KGB officer serving in East Germany. And he also points out that uh, with the dissolution of the Soviet Union, you get the dismemberment of Greater Russia. And Greater Russia, from Putin's perspective, vital to Russia, is Ukraine. And he he sees uh, the the roots of, of current Russia is being part of Kiev and and Russia and so he and he says the the, the loss of the, those provinces the former members of the Warsaw Black uh, Soviet bloc going from 1945 to 1990 again lost but the particular one that really rankles him is of course Ukraine and he says he's determined by the time he steps down he's now in his late 60s to bring Ukraine back into greater Russia a bit like what he's done with Crimea So in that case, when one looks at what diplomatic options there are, uh, we talk about sanctions a lot. Certainly Canada's talked about sanctions, but uh, NATO, the West in general, has talked about sanctions. Do you get the impression in this case that that Russia may be, or at least Putin himself, is impervious to to, to economic penalty because this matters so much to uh, to his legacy in his own mind? Well, I think sanctions matter to some of the people around him, the kleptocrats and the coterie of folks. I think they care because they will be affected and their families be affected. But I don't think Putin cares. And I think Putin is is trying to portray to the Russian people, just as you said earlier, Ben, the uh, the, the, the claims from those in eastern Ukraine who have declared independence that uh, the Ukrainian usurpers, the, the Western puppets out of Kiev are... Are, are are about to assault them and try to end their their independence 
And so he that that is what the Russian people are seeing. Because remember, in Russia, the media is all state controlled, and the the internet is increasingly now policed. So the the picture that is being presented to the Russian people is one of Western aggression, a kind of step by step constant NATO expansion, uh, beginning in 1997 and then 2004, 97, of course, with Poland, Hungary, Romania, and then 2004, I guess, with the Baltics. And then now we're at 30 with, I think, Macedonia was perhaps one of the last to join. And so from Putin's perspective and what he's presenting to the Russian people is a kind of uh, stranglehold by the West, and that's NATO, on on Russia. And and he's determined for him the red line is Ukraine. One of the things that I mean I, to go back to what happened today, the the leaders of those two areas um, essentially told their populations to evacuate. Now it seems like it was a carefully staged event, at least from the outside. I don't know that to be true, but it seems like a carefully staged event. Um, what happens if Russia moves in to what is an already an existing line dividing Ukraine and you, it's, this is Ukrainian territory, but but those two areas that are held by these separatist groups. Um, do you see that as being sort of a first step? Is that, is that, would that, is that something that could happen quickly? I think so. If that, if they decide to go, I think that in a sense, they've got little green men there anyways, they're just not there in Russian uniforms. But I, I think that's what you'll see. I mean, they'll start off obviously in protected territory and move, but how far they want to go. That's what we don't know. Does he want to, my sense is Putin wants to destabilize. Again, I talked about these, these Western new, Serpers, Zelensky's President Zelensky. After a couple of years, any prime minister or president would know this in a democracy. It takes some hits, and so he's taken a number of hits, and his popularity's dropped to about thirty percent. And that serves Putin exactly. And he 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 would like to destabilize Ukraine, and uh, because he regards what happened in twenty fourteen with the the then pro-Russian-leaning president who sort of turned down membership in the European Union. That was the key uh, decision that led to the, the Maiden demonstrations and then the, uh, the, the, the shootings in the Maiden in 2014 and then hit him fleeing to, uh, to Russia. Uh, but from Putin's perspective, if he can destabilize Zelensky and discredit the current government and put in a pro-Russian government, he will have accomplished what he set out to do. Then he doesn't have to take Ukraine over again because it would be leaning that way. But uh, in fact, what polling suggests is that the last eight years, Ukrainian nationalism has solidified. And while there may have been some at the outset who would were, weren't sure which way they wanted to move towards Russia or towards the European Union, principally because of its economic benefits and NATO because of the protection. Now it would seem most Ukrainians in the unoccupied part of Ukraine are sort of resolutely, uh, first of all, fiercely independent for Ukraine, but would lean to both the European Union and eventual membership if they can get it in NATO. I'm back with Colin Robertson, a former Canadian diplomat and fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. We've been talking about the fast-moving situation over the past week in Russia and Ukraine. Um, The Americans, President Biden in particular, warning that war, or at least a Russian incursion into Ukraine, another one, or a further one, uh, could be imminent. 
Um, meanwhile, the Ukrainians playing that down somewhat, trying to stand on their own uh, in face of this threat. And uh, lots of misinformation flying around with the Russians claiming that they are, in fact, uh, drawing down troops in that exact area. So difficult to see exactly how this will unfold uh, over the next while. Um, but we do know there are meetings set, at least they appear to be set. And one of them is the Secretary of State, uh, the American Secretary of State, apparently meant to meet with the uh, Russian foreign minister next Wednesday if there's not an invasion. Do you see that as a as a good sign or is that just um, just a cal- just a, a date on the calendar? Oh, Ben, when, when you're in this kind of situation, you seize at every opportunity you can get uh, until the guns start firing. Diplomacy is always the preferred uh, route because it means that there's not loss of blood and you're not sending home young men in particular in uh, the case of Russia, sinkline coffins or in body bags back to uh, uh, to Kiev and and elsewhere. So no, I, I you know I ho- you hope this works. Uh, I, I do think President Biden has been making best efforts. I think the uh, president of France, uh, Emmanuel Macron, I think Olaf Scholz, the new chancellor of Germany, I think Boris Johnson, I think the, the European leadership uh, would would like to, would prefer a negotiated settlement. But I'm not sure that they can reach what Putin wants, uh, although it would seem that if if Putin's, I, I think Putin's desire, as I said earlier, is basically to bring Ukraine back in the fold. But I think the minimum thing he'd be prepared to accept would be some kind of tacit acknowledgement by Ukraine that they will no longer be applying for membership in NATO and the European Union. But whether or not the Ukrainian authorities are prepared to go that far, I don't know. My sense is that, uh, that given the potential serious consequences. Remember, Russia is a nuclear state and has has the bomb, that there will be pressure from some parts of Europe on the Ukrainians to accept what what is in fact the reality. Ukraine's not going to be joining either the European Union or NATO for some time. Uh, they don't meet the minimum standards. Certainly in the case of NATO, if they were to join, then we'd immediately be at war at Russia because they occupy part of Ukraine. So that's not on. And in the case of the European Union, the, which insists on very high standards relating to uh, governance, Ukraine simply isn't there. It is, it, it's it's uh, in, in the transparency uh, index, they rank below Russia in terms of of, uh, of of transparency, they are more they they have real problems with corruption that Canadians have been trying to help Ukrainian authorities with since they declared independence in 1991. And we're making progress, but it's a long way to go. So what always happens here is that Putin knows where the line is, so he knows where how far he can push into Ukraine without provoking. Oh, no, and he's going to he he will push as long and hard as he can until yeah. he thinks there's going to be consequences uh, that would potentially cause him problems. Right. And I think this is where he's been quite masterful at playing this game. But in this case, he's probably, it would appear that he is, he is uh, pressed as hard as he can. And the fact that uh, President Biden has spoken twice to the nation this week on this and talked to all the NATO allies, what has impressed me is the cohesion within the, the senior membership of, uh, of the NATO alliance, as well as the defense ministers and foreign ministers. Quickly, as a, if you put your diplomat hat back on, what are we looking for now in the next 48, 72 hours, the next week? What are we looking for to see whether this is, if this is going in the right direction or if we're really headed towards something that no one really wants to see, at least not in the West? 
Well, in the military terms, you watch for some kind of uh, incursion into the Ukrainian territory. I mean, that's obviously going to be it. It's not going to be the other way around, but you'll have perhaps the Russians saying, oh, the Ukrainians have attacked us and therefore we have to respond. But how far they would go, that that's what we have to watch for. But that that tells you that perhaps the diplomatic negotiations are coming to an end. But there are still, as you pointed out, the diplomatic negotiations going on, principally scheduled, as you pointed out, between uh, uh, Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov and uh, Secretary Tony Blinken of the United States. But there will be other activities. President Macron's part of this. You can be sure that the, the, the British may still want to be involved, either Boris Johnson or Liz Truss, his foreign minister, Olaf Scholz, uh, the Chancellor of Germany, and, and the, their foreign minister, and and Peter Bach, you know. So there's a lot going on. There's a whole lot of players that are trying to find uh, threads that they can perhaps pull to find some kind of diplomatic resolution. And that's what I'm watching for. I noticed you didn't mention Prime Minister Trudeau, but that's not, uh, I'm sure that was just a, anyway, I think he was on that phone call. He's been on that phone call today. He's on the phone call, but Canada is not a a lead player in here. We were, we, you know, we've been uh, helpful to Ukraine, but we're not part of the principled diplomatic engagement. Uh, We will be helpful. Uh, our, our foreign minister has been over there. Our defense minister has been over there. Melanie Jolie and Nita Nand and Mr. Trudeau, as you point out, is aware of this. But Mr. Trudeau has other challenges right now. He certainly does. All right. Thank you, Colin Robertson, uh, for your time tonight. Okay. Thanks so much.